0: Beth Ann Chamberlain grew up in northern Minnesota and was introduced to cross-country skiing when she joined her high school team. She would continue competing in the sport and biathlon throughout college. Later, she'd be introduced to Paranordic skiing as a volunteer and started coaching. She now serves as a Paralympic Development Coach at the U.S. Biathlon Association, so we chat about the sport. So, Beth Ann, it's great to talk to you.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to do so.
0: So I think we, we should just jump right in. I, I really am excited to talk to you about uh, Nordic or what some folks will call cross-country skiing. And of course, there's a the biathlon component to that as well. Um, I, I, I thought we would start by just uh, how did you get into the sport and particularly into the adaptive space?
1: Yeah, um, I think there's always interesting stories as to how people get involved in our little niche sports. Um, I grew up in Northern Minnesota and I started skiing on my high school cross-country ski team, um, just because my running coach was a ski coach. Um, from there, there was a really awesome, uh, kind of introductory program for biathlon. Uh, this is a long story, <laughs> the long <laughs> version. Uh, so I started competing in biathlon in about uh ninth grade, I think, and continued to to compete and race um all through college and after college. As I was getting out of college, um, I was competing on a team in Maine. And um, our former director from the uh, Maine Winter Sports Center, where I skied, started, became the director of Paranordic, US Paralympics Nordic skiing. Um, and from there, I was curious. I wasn't interested in necessarily coaching at that time, just doing what I had been doing myself, but, uh, the parasite gave kind of a a little twist. I had to think about the sport in a little different way, which was very refreshing after just being so kind of immersed in it as an athlete for so long. Um, and from there, it just kind of snowballed. I, I volunteered at a couple events and then they needed some coaching help here. I was kind of in a transition phase myself. Um, and so it, it, grew from there. And I, um, I haven't really looked back. That was probably eight and a half years ago. Um, so it's been pretty fun.
0: I was going to ask you how long, how long it's it's been. Cause I thought it was, uh, near, nearly a decade now. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah,
1: Crazy, crazy how time flies.
0: And, um, so as an athlete, what was it about the sport that drew you in besides the coach, obviously, which is always, a. a um, uh you know connection, you know, to something. But yep. what, what else drew you into the sport?
1: Um well I, you know, I I enjoyed being outside. I enjoyed the endurance challenge. Um we all know that endurance sport sports um are are challenging in, in such a unique way. We we love the a little bit of uncomfortable feeling at times <laughs> that we have to do a lot of. Um, And you bring in the rifle marksmanship and the the shooting component with biathlon. And it, and it just, it's, it's, there's never a dull moment in the sport of biathlon. It keeps you on your toes. There's always a challenge. Um, And it was just really fun. Um, And I'd be lying if I said that the people we're just all really wonderful. And that always makes a difference, especially when you start something as, as a teenager, um, having a group of friends or just a group of people that are very inviting and having fun and challenging you in a great way, uh, meet, goes a long ways. And I was very lucky to, to have that with Minnesota biathlon and, um, yeah. And then just enjoyed the work involved in it.
0: And you said that once you um, you know, were introduced to the, the parasite, that you had to think of the sport in a in a different way. Um, in 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 what way did you have to think about it differently?
1: Oh, so many um, in really cool ways. I the first, uh, if you want to call it job or task, I had at the first training camp I helped at was to help. Teach a brand new skier who did not have any vision, does not have any vision, how to cross country ski. Um, and she had lost her vision a couple of years prior. And I felt totally out of my element or out of my league. I said, you know, I know cross-country skiing, I know how to teach it, but it I had to think about it. I couldn't, you know, use all the physical, the visual cues that I was used to. We put your hand position, hand position here, watch this video, do that. None of those things would work in that circumstance. And so, um, it was, it was both, I would say I was definitely intimidated. I hope I didn't seem too intimidated at the time. Um, but it, but it was really fun to think about it. Okay, what what are we doing? How can I describe this? What would be helpful? It was a lot of working with the athlete in front of me and saying, tell me if this makes sense. Tell me if it doesn't because I'm learning here too. So um, with that and then working with sit skiers and for the biathlon piece, um, you know they're in a little different position because they're in their, their sit skis versus um, when we shoot... Um, when I shot as a, as a biathlete, um, as a standing athlete, I'm laying directly on my stomach and they're often sometimes on their stomach, but sometimes on their side and just little more, um, a few more pieces to work, to work through in regards to finding the right position, um, because of being in a sit ski, um, yeah, just kind of a little bit. Okay. Some things apply, whether you're standing or sitting, some things don't transfer and, and using um, just some creative thinking to think through what's going to be best for the athlete in front of me um, in the task that they're looking to do. And,
0: um, and, and, and when you yeah, mentioned yeah. that, and when you mentioned that you were, um, that it was, you know, a challenge and um, and that you live in the, like like to live in the space of of, of un, uncomfortability or what's it, is <laughs> yeah that a, is that a word uh that's where we grow right i mean that's where right. so, so when you when you take on a challenge and you and you and maybe not in your comfort zone that's when that's when each of us typically you know grow so i think that's that's exciting uh that you wanted to wanted to take that on as well a- and and you already talked a little bit about some of the adap- adaptations uh in the sport in terms of what disabilities are included, particularly in the, at least at the Paralympic level. Um, yep. you know, I know that there's a, a visual impairment component, yep. uh, a, a city, a seated a component, and then a standing component. Can you walk through the, through those different, um, in the, in the official sports world it's called classifications, but, um, but, but in terms of just of how the sport is, uh, adapted and, 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 and able to be adapted.
1: Absolutely. Um, You just hit on it, um, really well in that I work with the, the Paralympic specific side. And so we have three different categories or classes, um, within the competition. Um, I'll backtrack a little bit and say that one of the many reasons why I love the sport of cross-country skiing, um, is because whether you are, one of the, you fit into one of those classes or not, everybody can enjoy this sport. Everybody can challenge themselves by it and, and go out and, and enjoy it with family, friends, who compete on, on, there's lots of opportunities on every level. On the Paralympic side, as you said, we have the, the sitting class, the standing class, and the visually impaired class. And within there are subcategories within each of those categories that kind of further breaks down um, the different groups that we have competing on the course. And so all the sit skiers race together, but there are kind of five subcategories that um, I'm try not to get in too much of a hole with this because you can keep, you can, um, <laughs> I, I, there's very much a rabbit hole <laughs> as we continue to talk through it. Sure, but sure. Um, we have athletes that are sit skiers that have full control um, in use of their core. Um, they can crunch all the way down and come all the way back up. And we have athletes that have, um, function without you, they're skiing without the use of their core at all. And that, that becomes very different when you're competing. And so there's what's called a factored system. So a timing percentage a certain percentage of each of those different classes is taken off depending on where you are, you're classified. Um, and, and so the overall time has the athletes, all the sit gears together, but those with a high level injury, which would be what's called an LW 10, um, get a certain percentage of their time off, um, to compensate for the, um, their unique circumstance in that they are not using their core versus the athlete that has full core gets mm-hmm. all of their time. And there's three different categories in between. Um, so, sit skiing, same thing goes for standing and visually impaired. visually impaired. There are athletes that have no vision and ski with blacked out goggles, and then those are there are athletes that ski with some vision um, of varying degrees, and they're called b one, two, or three. Um standing classes, we have everything from athletes um, skiing without poles. Um, so you're asking about adaptations um, you know, for our standing and visually impaired athletes, they're using. Standard um go to your ski shop and get skis from your local ski shop uh, equipment, boots, poles, skis. Um, for standing athletes, sometimes they're only using one pole if um they don't have a hand or they don't have a way to grip a pole or they're mi- potentially missing an arm. So they'll ski with one pole. We have athletes that are in a class that have ski with no poles um that they have the same skis and boots um as any other athlete.. Um, some lower leg limb impairments uh, athletes have uh, ski with prosthetics, but otherwise, it's still a standard boot and and ski. And so there are actually very few changes to the equipment that we use there. Um for sit skiing, uh, there are endless possibilities with the different seats that um, athletes ski on or ski in, used to ski. Um, so some of them are custom built and molded to fit an athlete as they're competing at a high level. When you start, um, there's a lot of different um, kind of standard seated positions that athletes start in. Now the sit ski is the unique piece. The skis um, and the poles are also skis and poles that you would get at a ski shop, and so uh, you have to have a uh, an adaptation to connect the sit ski to the ski. But most often, that's a, just a regular binding with an additional piece in the back to secure it. Um, so, so, yeah, I, so for sit ski- rabbit hole. Sorry,
0: <laughs> no, that, that's okay. Yeah. So, so for sit skis, they use a traditional scheme. So the only uh, variation right. is the is just attaching the seat. Then, okay.
1: Yep. Yeah, and then just the building out of the sit ski itself. That's unique to the sport, to to the specific component of sit skiing.
0: Right. Cause it's, they don't use a, I mean, that's typically the only time they would use that type of, of uh, seated device. Right. Cause yep. it, it's, yeah, not yeah. A, it's not like a mono ski or it's not like anything else you would use. It's specific to cross country or Nordic or biathlon.
1: Yep. You got it.
0: I think we've talked about, is there any other pieces of equipment? Cause that was definitely one of the questions I had. So obviously the traditional kind of winter, winter things you would need to ski boots, poles, skis, and then, yep, if you, yep. and then seated, seat, uh, the sit ski, of course. If you if you are in the seated um, uh, competition, or if you're just you know and out there wanting to enjoy the sport, any other any other pieces of equipment that if someone that was getting into the sport that was brand new to the sport that they would need to basically buy or have.
1: Um. There, there isn't a lot. Um, we get a little more, there's a little more equipment involved on the biathlon side. Um, I will say with visually impaired athletes with a visual impairment, um, if you have very little vision that often we use a voice amplifier. And so our guides for our visually impaired skiers ski in front of the skier and they often use a voice amplifier. And so they are giving a kind of a constant feedback of, Usually, something very simple to say because it's tiring and saying "hup, hup, hup, hup," and so the skier is following that sound. So, a voice amplifier would be one additional piece of equipment that um, is often used um, just with the skiing component. With biathlon, the um, standing and seated sit ski classes use a an air rifle versus a 22 which is used on the non adaptives. Biathlon side, so we shoot a, a, a air rifle at ten meters on a thirteen millimeter target. So that is unique to para biathlon. Um, the most unique equipment piece is the audio rifle, which is the visually impaired's classes um, what they use to shoot. Um, which, as you can imagine, is all done by sound. And, and there is no, there are no visual cues of any kind. Um, so it is a a very unique system that is designed specifically for visually impaired athletes competing and participating in the sport of biathlon. Um, they put earphones on and the, they get a beeping sound. And so, um, the beep changes as they get closer to the target. And so you're listening and moving. To, until you hear the right sound and fine aiming and pulling the trigger. When you hear it, it's all just an infrared system. So it's kind of like a camera, um, which, you know, is, we call it a biathlon rifle, but it's basically a camera that that looks like the shape of a rifle and, and you hold it in a similar position. Um, it's one of the most challenging, <laughs> I think things to do, uh, but also is really fun.
0: <laughs> and. And I want to go back to one other thing you said, Bethany. In in terms of uh, visual impairments with with um, cross country and and Nordic skiing, uh, do all uh, athletes with a visual impairment wear the blacked out goggles um, when they're on the course?
1: Good question. No. So we have again, uh, which I mentioned briefly, three different subclasses within the visually impaired class, and those are B one and the athletes that are classes of B1 have very little, if any, most often no vision at all. And they ski when they compete with blacked out goggles. That is so it evens the playing field because some athletes have no light perception and some athletes in that class have some light perception. And so that can very much change um, what you're able to do on a course. So they even the playing field by having the B1 athletes ski with blacked out goggles. The B2 and B3 classes do not use black dog goggles. Um, and they have, they often have enough vision to follow their guide and often don't need an audio cue. Um, but then that factor system comes into play to even the playing field for all three of those classes to compete in the same event. So a, a B one would get, Oh gosh, let me see if I can do my math. Um, 18% of their, Oh no. Um, sorry, 12% of their time taken off at the end. So if they did the race in 20 minutes, 12% of, of 20 would be taken off hmm. um, to put onto the final result sheet compared to the B3s, um, if that makes any sense.
0: That does, yeah. Thank you for explaining that too, because if, if you're watching it <laughs> on television, prepared, that's the know. challenge
1: <laughs> of, of watching it. There's a lot, lot going on that it's hard to know is going on. Um, but it is still really fun to watch.
0: So I, I know that you go all over the country, either doing clinics or camps and uh and even at Ski Spec, and we always do an intro kind of uh day or session. Yep. What what do you it, it, like if we're trying to and one of the goals obviously of, of our, our chat today and then and the magazine article is to introduce the sport to folks that may not be familiar with it, what, how do you hype it
1: up? Oh, how do you hype it up? Um, well, the easiest way to hype it up is to watch some biathlon races, I think, (laughs) or the cross country sprint races, which you can find on YouTube. I think that is, um, always really fun. The sprint races are a cross country race and they're really short. They're about uh, for sit skiers about eight hundred meters. Um, it's head- to-head competition. It's really fun. it's it's amazing to see um, I think sit skiing is very humbling sport. It's very hard at first, but watching the athletes that are the best in the world, I think is really motivating and also just exciting because it's it's amazing what they can do and how easy they make it all look as far as turning and and their bumping elbows and and it's tough competition. It's really fun. Um, so checking out some video would be something that I would recommend. Um, and, and if you haven't tried it, I would just recommend everybody get out and and give it a try. Even if it's, uh, just a one-time thing, get, give yourself a chance to get some experience in and, and see what, what you think of it.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head in terms of the two two recommendations. One, you gotta see it for yourself, and two, you've yeah. got to ex- experience it for yourself. And um, and so we're always trying to introduce you know new sports to folks that may not may not have tried a sport. And so definitely encourage folks to just get out and, and try it. You mentioned that it was an endurance sport. Um, so how do you recommend athletes train? Um, in order to, uh, you know, be able to get out and actually participate or do the sport.
1: Yeah, really good question. Um, you know, the ideal training in the winter is always getting out on snow and skiing, getting, getting kilometers in, getting time on snow, um, practicing your turning, uh, the tactics as much as you can, um, We obviously only have snow for part of the year, which is probably a good thing. (laughs) Um, So a lot of our athletes actually both, um, many of our athletes on our national team compete both in summer and winter sports, but even those that don't compete in a summer sport, um, they do a lot of dry land training of just endurance based training. So whether that's, if there's, um, a sit skier, they may be in a hand cycle or a racing chair, um, a rowing. Standing skiers can often run, um, doing kind of your traditional endurance-based training, which is just getting time, um, long, long, slow distance training in some intensity training in. And then of course there's the strength component. So getting some strength training in, um, as well. And so it's, it's a lot of training in the end, uh, at least, well, it is for any sport at the very top. Um, but. Uh, the more fit you are, the more fun it is. I, I think Do Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you see these, you know, ruts that the uh, athletes focus on or stay in. Can you talk about that?
1: Oh, the, the tracks.
0: Yeah. Um, Sorry, yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so with the the tracks are something that is set with the groomer for all standing classics races. So classic skiing is, is, what is often thought of when we think of cross-country skiing, it is more of a traditional technique. And so your, your feet are parallel and you're kicking front to back with that, um, front to back leg swing. Um, and sit skiers use the tracks as well as their skis are fixed, right? So they're not, um, moving in different directions. And so those sit skis are designed to fit, um, the, for those skis to fit directly into the track. Now that track will be, um, set throughout a course. And so it's easier to maneuver. It will be kind of scrubbed or or taken out around corners because sometimes it's actually helpful to not have those, um, and just have what would be considered like corduroy or what you would see on an alpine Hill for grooming just Mm -hmm. that little corduroy. Um, and so the, The tracks are there to help there. Sometimes it's helpful to be in them. Sometimes it's helpful to not be in them. And that would be something that any new skier, I always challenge them to, to try both. It's going to depend on the conditions on the day, on the trail you're on as to whether it makes sense to be in a track or not, um, specifically for sit skiers. Um, if you're a standing skier and you're classic skiing, you're most likely most comfortable in the track. That's going to provide guidance, um, on, on, keeping those skis going, going down the track without, with the least amount of work from you, um, standing and visually impaired skiers also use the skating technique, which is just what you'd think of, um, it's skating right with on skis. And so pushing laterally from side to side and shifting that weight, all glide, um, all gliding. And that is actually the technique that's used in all biathlon races for standing in visually impaired. Um, and so those races, they're not going to be in the track. They're going to be on that corduroy, that flatter section. So different grooming for different, um, different techniques. And then also for different parts of the course. Um, a skate skier may jump into the tracks to go down a hill because it will. It's easy for them to follow, and it may be faster in the track. Um, so, all depends on the scenario. Well,
0: that's that's good to know. I, you know, I, I didn't. Uh, I would have assumed that they were always helpful to be in there. So, it's good to know that there are times where it makes sense that you're not in the track.
1: Yeah, it does. And that's a really important thing to learn. I think one of the easiest ways to learn is to experience and play around with it. Um, Again, there are so many variables with conditions day to day and the trails that you're on that um, it's just it's a really great skill to develop yourself. Um, And especially as sit skiers, one of the best skills you can develop is learning to read the terrain because it reads very differently in a sit ski versus standing um off camber trails can really be challenging in a different kind of way when you're in a sit ski versus standing and then also looking at where where it is helpful to be in the track and where would it not be um so good good things fun things to work on
0: and and you and you mentioned alpine and that's another question that that I wanted to to address in terms of um I know that there are folks that that um Either aren't comfortable or have a fear of, you know, alpine skiing, going down the mountain, you know. Uh, and so we, uh, I know, I've, I've, I've at times suggested, well, have you tried, uh, you know, cross-country skiing? Um, and, and can you, and 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 would you also recommend the same kind of uh, exploration of, you know, if you're if you're not comfortable with, you want to be outside in the winter, but not comfortable with with, you know, the <laughs> the angle of a mountain um, to, yeah. to, to, to try uh, cross-country skiing.
1: Absolutely. Um absolutely. I said at the beginning uh cross country skiing is a sport that everybody can enjoy. And you can do it at a recreation level which is really fun and you can do it at a high comp- highly competitive level which is also really fun and everything in between. And so uh it's a matter of of finding out what where you want to go with it and but First step is always to, to get out there and give it a try.
0: And, um, where, where do people, you know, where would you recommend people try it? I mean, obviously we, uh, we have, we have some Nordic centers across the country. Um, what, what else in terms of other, what other recommendations would you, would you have for folks?
1: Yeah. Well, ski spec is always a great opportunity. People are there. I know there's so many people that go to that event, which is amazing, um, for Alpine, but not as many people know about the Nordic component. And we have a race camp, which is small, but awesome. Um, but also, uh, um, a, just a try it day, we have a bunch of equipment. You can talk with a lot of other people. That's always a really awesome opport- place to, to give it a try. Um, outside of that, there are Um, a growing number of clubs and organizations that provide opportunities, whether training camps or just lessons in cross-country skiing, obviously each class has slightly different needs. Um, not every venue has a sit ski, but many do. And one of the best ways I think to find a, a good summary of, of what opportunities there are out there. is to go to the U S Paralympics Nordic skiing website and there's an event page. Um, and there are camps and a calendar event race, uh, race calendar posted there. And so you can see a summary of all the training camps and other opportunities to, um, try the sport out. Everything that we hear about, we try to post on there. And that is just a, a summary of events, um, which is always a really great place to start.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely a a good, a good recommend recommendation. And, you know, one of the things that, that I'm always interested in is um, obviously the, the interchangeability of, uh, of the two terms, you know, we have the cross, we we call it cross country. Sometimes it's referred to as Nordic. Um, What is, what, you know, why is that maybe is one question I might have for you. And then, and then in terms of what is, what is the preferred or standard uh, terminology that's that's used?
1: This is a really good question. So on the paraside, um, paranordic is is um, like world paranordic skiing is the international governing body. Uh, and that Nordic includes both cross-country skiing and biathlon. Nordic skiing is is generally any skiing where your heel is not attached to a binding um your heel is not secured down so technically speaking tele- or telemark skiing and ski jumping are all kind of nordic skiing hmm. so um cross-country skiing and biathlon are the two that fall under para nordic and so when we say um nordic we kind of usually um are referring to both the cross-country and biathlon um Cross-country skiing is just cross-country skiing. Biathlon is cross-country skiing and rifle marksmanship. That yeah,
0: that, that that that's very, very confusing. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's helpful to to um, know that Nordic is not just cross-country. That it is it's, it's more encompassing and 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 broader. And and of course, you know, even just the reference to Nordic. Uh, you know, this is a sport that's, you know, been around obviously, um, internationally and also for, you know, centuries.
1: Yeah. Um, a long history, um, of, and, and a really, a a, a neat one. Um, it's, it's a great sport. Of course, it has the Scandinavian roots, um, and, and it has evolved. It has come a long ways and it, it's fun to see it grow the equipment to continue to improve. And just for a greater population of people getting out there and enjoying the sport, um, which is really fun. It's both challenging, but, um, super exciting and fun. Um, it, it is, it does give you that little bit of, um, that good tired that we, 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 most people, I think, enjoy in the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Getting getting a little bit of exertion out. And, and yeah.
1: <laughs> feels good to work up a sweat and then go inside and enjoy a cup of hot chocolate. Who doesn't love that?
0: And the, the last question I have for you, Bethann, is is um, obviously, you know, one of the things that we always even excuse back in other places we want to try to grow the, the pipeline, if you will, for yes. the, those that may be interested in uh, taking it from more than just a recreational sport to, to the next level, the competitive level. Um, how are you always working to uh, make sure that like the United States has a good crop of athletes to compete uh, either at the world level or at the Paralympic level every four years?
1: Well, we are, we are always excited, um, and working hard at, at developing and, and helping athletes continue to progress. And those that want to, want to compete at a high level to help them have the highest level of training opportunities. We're working with a number of different cross country and biathlon clubs to have a uh, para specific training component to their, their, um, their programming, which, which is being done at a, a few different places. Uh, our biggest group right now is at Crosscut in in Bozeman, Montana, which is also where our national team is based in the winter. Um, we are, we also offer a handful in non COVID times, uh, development camps. So we want to get athletes out there and, and coming together throughout um, kind of from all over the nation to to train together. We're working with local coaches and clubs to provide some best practices and specifics for um, kind of the para side of the sport that are unique that uh, any other cross country ski coach might not be as familiar with. Um, and then anyone that's interested and new and and just want to explore more competition, uh, in addition to looking at our event page on the U.S. Paralympics Nordic Skiing website. We also have, uh, an athlete and guide survey that we would love anyone who is interested in getting more involved and especially competing to fill out that survey. Um, then we know about you and you follow up with everybody and we help, uh, we aim to help everybody make more connections where they are or find greater opportunities and and what the next step would be for them in their pathway to development to whatever level they're looking to compete at.
0: That's fantastic. Well, is there anything else that that, um, uh, we didn't discuss that maybe we should talk about?
1: Um. No, I, I guess I'd just like to say again, don't be a stranger to anyone that's looking to get involved, whether that's volunteering, guiding or um, competing as an athlete or getting um, fill out that athlete survey on on the U.S. Paralympics Nordic skiing website and and we'll follow up and um, yeah, just get out there.
0: Wonderful. Thanks. I appreciate it very much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Great talking with you.